Jesus. Man, what a what a powerful and wonderful song. I love that song. And just on a lighter note, the thing that I like so much about it is I love to watch James sweat when he's up here singing that. Man, that's a, that is a that is a great song. Uh, today we are beginning a uh, a new a new series of messages called True Church. And I just really thought that the past I guess a couple of months ago I was just thinking about the church in general and wondering. Uh, you know, what, what is the purpose of the church and what does God have in store for the church? Because I think there's a lot of misperceptions out there concerning what the church is supposed to be like and what it's supposed to, what it's supposed to accomplish in life. But what I've discovered as I read through scripture is I, I have discovered that God has a desire for the church to be powerful. For the church to be an instrument, to be a tool that makes a difference in the world in which we are living. Now, when I talk about the church, I'm going to talk right now about it in general. And I'm not talking about you guys, but just the church in general. The Bible says the church is to be powerful. But what I've discovered so often is that the church is oftentimes, it's rather anemic. Uh, various studies have been done that have shown that uh, the belief systems, the way people practice their living, the way they live their lives is pretty consistent with the way everybody else lives their lives. And so what's happened for the church is that the church has become just another facet of our culture that really doesn't stand out from any other, uh, any other organization in our world. And I thought, man, that's not, that's not who the church or what the church is supposed to be. See, when I look into, whenever I look into Scripture, what I discover is the church is a vessel, a tool that God uses to bring about His will. The church has been called to be powerful. And so that's what, that's what I want us to see today, is the, the purpose of our group of believers, what God has in mind for us. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 sort of gives us an idea of how we are to function. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Folks, God desires for the church to be powerful. The church was not instituted for, for us to be, a, for it to be a place where people come in order to hide and get away from the big, bad, awful, war, awful world. God started the church so that believers would go out into the world in order to transform lives. And so if you have your Bible, I'd like you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. And we're going to look in verse number 13 in just a few moments. But as we do that, we're going to see Jesus sharing with us just a few basic facts about the power of the church. And as you're turning there in Matthew chapter 16, uh, just to give you some background information, at this point in Jesus' ministry, he was, he was already known as a great teacher. He was a guy, and you can read in the preceding verses, the preceding chapters, he was a guy who'd gone around, he was healing people, performing, I mean, just absolutely incredible, incredible miracles, just incredible works of God. And so people started having questions about Jesus. And they began to wonder, hey, who is this guy? You know, is, is, he, is he just sort of like a, a show at the circus, or is he more than that? 
The religious leaders of the day were not real excited about Jesus because he was sort of taking away some of their draw, some of their power. And so they came to Jesus, they would challenge him, they'd say, perform a miracle right now so that you can prove that you're from God. And so this is the background of what's going on when we come to this passage of Scripture. And it's here in the Scripture that Jesus, he sort of ignores all these calls for people saying, do this and do that. And Jesus talks to his disciples and he tells his disciples about the church. And in, in this whole mix, Jesus asked his disciples, he said, I want you to tell me who you think that I am. And it's through this that Jesus shares the kind of power that the church can have. And so we're going to focus today on what is, what is, or what are some facts about the power of the church. And a few things that I want us to recognize from our text today is the first fact about the power of the church is I really believe this. I believe the power of the church today is underestimated. Now, a lot of us do not understand what kind of power and influence that a group of believers can have in our society right now. If you look back in verse 13, it says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now, when Jesus said this, he was traveling through a, a town known as Caesarea Philippi. And I'm going to tell you all this just to give you all kind of a little geography so that you can kind of figure out where Jesus is. Israel is just like this really tiny little country. It's, you know, it's in the it's in smack dab in the middle of the Middle East, right next to it's the Mediterranean. And so Israel, let's picture it's like this, okay, like these two little hands right here. And so Jesus is right up here. He's in northern Israel. He's up by the border of Syria. And this is a region that was, I mean, it was a very pagan region. They had a temple to the god, the Greek god Pan there. Uh, it's, a, it's very scenic. We had the opportunity last year. We were there. Y'all, it is a, it is a, I'm serious, it's a cool place. And there's trees everywhere. There's a huge river that runs through it. There's waterfalls. So it's just a beautiful place. But it's right here in the midst of all this natural beauty that Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, Hey, who do, who do people say that I am? Now, Jesus wasn't asking the question because he didn't know who he was. He just wanted to see who do people say I am. He wanted to see what they had to say. And if you look in that verse again, verses 13 and 14, he, they first of all say, Well, some say that you are John the Baptist. Okay, just to make sure you guys are just sort of here with me. Anybody know anything about John the Baptist? If you do, just say, you don't have to shout it out, but just say, what do you know about John the Baptist? Other than the fact that he was a good old Baptist. I mean, what, do you have to, what do you know about John the Baptist? I felt like Bueller. Bueller, anyone? Anybody? Okay, he's a guy, a couple of things we know about him. John the Baptist, he was a cousin of Jesus, and they cut his head off, right? And that's what we know about John the Baptist. Okay, so at this point, we already, and he was a, a great preacher, but at this point he's already died. Now, they said, some said he was, Jesus was John the Baptist. Herod is the one who cut his head off. And when he heard Jesus preach, he started getting nervous because he preached a message very similar to John the Baptist. And he started thinking, he might be the reincarnated John the Baptist. He's come back to haunt me again. So some said it was John the Baptist. Others said that he was the prophet. Do you all remember who? Elijah. Elijah's from the Old Testament. 
Uh, what's the big deal about Elijah? Well, it's prophesied that before the Savior of the world came, that Elijah the prophet would come back to this earth again and prepare everybody, prepare everybody's heart so they could receive the Messiah. So some said that Jesus was this guy. Others said that he was Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Now, just to let y'all know, these are all great people. This is, I mean, this is, if anybody said that you were like these people, you would have to say, that's impressive, right? It'd be like somebody coming to me and say, you know, Eric, you remind me of Billy Graham. I'd be like, that's pretty cool. Uh, you know, somebody came up to me and said, you know, when I look at you, I mean, you remind me, you, you were built like Fabio. And, uh, you know, I'd just say, you know, I'd, be, I'd just take that, I would take that as a compliment. You know, that would be a good thing. But for Jesus, none of these things were compliments. You know why? Because Jesus was greater than all of these men. He was greater than every one of them. Well, well, who was Jesus? Who is he? Why was he not impressed with, with what people said about him? Jesus is the Son of God. He's not just a mere man. And yet these people had a mistaken identity of who Jesus was. They underestimated the identity of Jesus. And I really believe in our world today that the same thing's going on. Man, so many of us still underestimate the identity of Jesus. We underestimate the power that comes with being a follower of Jesus. And that translates over into the church. Some of us underestimate the power of the church because we underestimate who Jesus is. There are times when I'll talk to people and then they will tell me, they'll say, you know, I think the church is a good place because it's a great place for me to come and I can bring my kids and they're going to learn about some good, solid morals here. Or the church is a good place because we can come here and I, I know some people and we can fellowship and hang out together. I can come into the church and I know that we're going to be able to be involved in the community and do good social services. And, and I, 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 all those things are good things. I'm not against any of those things. But if that's all that you think of when you think of the church, because you are underestimating the church. Because the church is representative of the Son of God. Who came here not just to do good works. He came here to change hearts. To change the future of people. And we are his ambassadors that are to fulfill that same role. Now, we always get in trouble whenever we underestimate things. I mean, I know for me, there are times when I underestimate children. You know, children are, for some reason, we think that children, we think, well, you know, they're, they're so innocent. And now I have three children. They ain't innocent. But, you know, the kids are smarter than we think they are. I heard a story about a guy who was getting ready to go to the doctor. He's talking to his five-year-old daughter. And she said, well, Dad, where are you going? I said, i got to go to the doctor. Why are you going there? He said, I got it. They're going to draw blood. Why are they drawing blood? So well, I'm getting a test done because I'm going to get an insurance policy for you and Mama. And he said, if something were ever to happen to me, y'all get you get three hundred thousand dollars. So I got to go to the doctor. And five year old daughter looks at him and he's thinking that she, you know, she probably doesn't understand what I'm talking about. And she looked at him. And she said, Dad, I got a question for you. Said, yeah. She said, Is that a piece? Now, now kids are kids are smarter than we think they are. And in a similar sense, we, we get into trouble whenever we underestimate the power of God and what he can do through the church. By the way, did y'all notice that, that it's only, a son doesn't ask that question, just daughters ask that kind of a question. But uh, we underestimate the power of God and what he can do through the church. 
And too many of us have placed the emphasis upon ourselves and what we can do instead of actually what Christ can do through us as a body of believers. Church isn't just a place where we come in order to sing songs. It's not just a place where we come in order to feel good about ourselves. We don't come here just simply to worship you know, a, a mere man who did a lot of good stuff. As we come here to worship a life changer. One who can transform your life forever. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and new has come. Your old life can be absolutely erased by God and He can give you a new beginning. And today He works through the church for us to get that message out. So the first, first fact about the power of the church is that the power of the church is underestimated. But another thing that I see is that the power of the church comes from Christ. And that's something we need to know. The power of the church does not come through, does not come through me, does not come through you because you're just so gifted and talented, which you are. But the power of the church, it comes through Jesus. Now I want you to look with me in verse number 15. Jesus said, but what about you? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. Now, we can talk all day long about what people think about Jesus, but there's going to come a time when we have to answer for ourselves who Jesus is. Jesus started off by asking the disciples, he said, who do people say that I am? But he followed that question up by asking what? Who do you say that I am? Now, that's important for us to understand. Every one of us in this room is one day going to have to answer that question. Who do you say Jesus is? In your personal life, who is Jesus to you? Is he just a historical figure? Is he a motivational speaker? Or is he the Lord and the Savior of your life? Who is Jesus? The disciples answered the question, actually Peter did. Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. They might say, well, what what does that mean? Guys, it means everything. It means that Jesus wasn't just some man with unusual powers. He wasn't just another prophet. He is God in flesh. You know what? That's why we're here. We are here to worship Jesus, God in flesh. John 1.14 tells us who Jesus is. It says the word, Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we've seen his glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. What does that mean for the church? It means the main operating power, the driving force behind the church, the one who empowers the church, is Jesus. It's Jesus. It's nothing else. Now, a lot of us try to find power in the church through other things or power in our lives through other things. Where where do we try to find satisfaction and comfort in life? where, Where do we look for comfort and power in life? Money? Health? exercise. If if you're looking for power in your life, this is going to make some of you feel good. It's not going to be at Gold's Gym. Now, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. If you're looking for eternity, for purpose, it will come through the everlasting, eternal Jesus Christ. 
And we must recognize His authority and His power. Church, if we are going to have power, we have to make sure that the fuel for our lives is Jesus, nothing else. During this time of year, you know, you're getting ready to start, we're getting ready to start mowing our yards again. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that. I'm ready to see green, ready to see, I like to smell, you know, freshly cut grass. The great thing about it is we have children, and I have two sons who are old enough to mow. So I'm, I'm like almost at the point of retirement when it comes to uh, mowing. And uh, Hank's been doing it, so now I get to teach Glenn about mowing the yard this year. Now, last year when we first, you know, you kind of go through the seas, you haven't mowed for a long time, I took my lawnmower out, I put it in the driveway, and I, you know, I got that little button on the side, you prime it, you prime it three times, and you pull the cord, and nothing happens. So, you know, you know it, and it never does, it's been sitting in the garage for so long, I primed it again, pulled the cord, nothing happened. Primed it, pulled the cord, I kept doing this over and over again, until I realized that there was something I needed to do first. Check the gas. And uh, so I go, oh, man, I can't believe it. And I, I took the lid off, looked in there, and I, I mean, it was dry as a bone. Now, when I put the gas in, guess what happened? It fired right up. Now, because the yard needed to be mowed, I did the right thing when I went to get the lawnmower. Now, I did the right thing there, but the problem was, even though I went to the lawnmower, because I didn't have gas, it didn't do me any good. Now, a lot of times... There, we are down or we need encouragement or we're looking for something more. And a lot of people will come into the church for, for something. And yet they leave the church and they say, man, I didn't, I didn't sense anything. I didn't, you know, I didn't feel any, anything special. And, and we feel disappointed at times because we, it's like we didn't get our fix. But I, I believe that the problem is, that a lot of us, when we come in here, we, we don't ever check the fuel to see who it is that is fueling our lives. And if you come in here expecting something, and yet you don't have the fuel of Jesus in your lives, oftentimes you're going to leave here disappointed. You see, if you're going to receive power, and you're going to receive the power of the church, you must have the power of Christ that is dwelling in you, that is working through you. That's why Peter, he experienced power in his life. Why? Because he recognized who Jesus was. Who is Jesus? He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. When he made this confession, he made it in Caesarea Philippi, a pagan town, a place where there's a lot of confusion about how to get to God. And I think this is just so appropriate for us as well. We, we live in a time where people are very confused about how to get to God. We live in a time where people are very confused about what it is that gives them satisfaction and purpose. And we look for satisfaction and purpose in so many crazy things. So many different things. We look for it through our jobs. We look through it through money. We look through it, uh, look for it through material things. But there's only one thing that will power your life. That's Jesus. That's what Jesus said in John 14, 6. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. You want to know why the church is powerful? Because this is our message. And this is the confession on which the church has been built upon. Now, I look at the power of the church. I see it's underestimated. I see it's important for us to understand the power of the church. It comes from Christ. And this is the last thing I want you to see. The power of the church is relevant. Look at verse 18. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. 
and I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. Guys, where's where's the power of the church? Is it relevant for today? A lot of people say, ah, church, I don't think it really makes that big of a difference. Does the church make a big difference today? And I'm not asking, you know, we're in church, so obviously you've got to give me the church answer. But really think about that. Is the church relevant? The Bible says it's relevant. Hebrews 10.25 says, let us not give up meeting together. Some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. I like this verse. Every preacher likes this verse. That's speaking of the church, that verse is. That means there, Christians, there are no excuses as to why you should not come into the church to worship. How long are we to come to worship in the church? The Bible says until Christ comes again. Now, can you worship God in other places other than, the, other than this building right here? Well, of course you can. But you're not to do it at the expense of corporate worship. And you say, well, why? Because, guys, there, there is something powerful about a group of believers coming together. You see, Jesus said later on in our text, he said the gates of Hades, or whatever your Bible might say hell, says the gates of hell will not prevail against what? Anybody remember? Against the church. It doesn't say the gates of hell will not prevail against money. It doesn't say the gates of hell will not prevail against the Atlanta Braves on Sundays when they're playing. What does it say? Gates of hell will not prevail against the church. I think that's pretty cool. You know, if you're looking to be involved in something that makes a difference, if you're looking to be involved in something that has power for an eternity, what is it? It is God's church. Jesus said, because I live, you also will live. And then he said, I'm going to give the keys I'm going to give the keys to you, to the kingdom of heaven. What do keys do? What's the importance of a key? What does a key do for your car? It starts it, right? It locks it, it starts it. Everybody knows whoever's got the key has got the power. When I was in high school, my mom had the key. We had to share a car. Now, if mom had the key, I was, I was not very cool. Because I was in high school and mom would drop me off at school. I mean, how neat is that? See you, mom. Thanks. Uh, who's, who's that girl? It's my old girlfriend. Uh, you know, the key, whoever's got the key has got the power. If you have a key to the house, what does that mean? You can get in the house. You can enjoy air conditioning. Not only that, but if you have the keys, you can bring somebody along to enjoy the ride. Now, Jesus said he was giving the keys to the kingdom of heaven to his disciples. And they weren't literal keys. He didn't pull out keys and hand it to them. The key was Jesus. He said, the key to, I'm giving you the key to let you know so that you can share with other people. The key to eternity is a relationship with Christ. Now, folks, the church is relevant because it is a place where salvation will be taught. It's relevant because it's a place where you can find hope in a hopeless world. The question for you today is this, do you have the key to salvation? Do you have the key? Now, if you do have the key, and if you understand that that a relationship with God comes through Jesus, have you placed the key in the lock to turn it so that you can open the door? See, this this is why the church is powerful. 
Jesus left the keys to the kingdom of heaven with the church to share the saving message of Jesus with a world that is dying and going to hell. He has left us the keys so that we can share the message with our neighbors and our friends that there is a God who forgives and who gives hope. Psalm 103.12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. The God of forgiveness. We've been given that key. Guys, what are you doing with the key? Church is powerful. The church is a place that has been endowed with power for an eternity. And if we want to be a part of something that's lasting and great, we need to be a part of the church. What I'd like for us to do is to bow our heads and to close our eyes. And we're just simply going to close out the service right now. And there might be some of you, and you say, you know, I, I, I'm not real sure where I am in a relationship with Jesus. And you might not be sure, but this is something I can tell you with certainty. We all need to know God. We all need to have a relationship with Jesus. And you might be searching for something that will give you wholeness in life. And if you are, you are in the right place today. You are in the church. And the one who can fill that void in your life is Jesus Christ. All he asks of you is simply to acknowledge your sin. To ask him for forgiveness. And to ask him to be the leader and the Lord of your life. Anyway, so I'd like to do that. If you'd like to do that, I just silently where you are, you can pray this prayer or something like it after me. And just simply pray, Jesus, I... I acknowledge that I am sinful. And God, I know that I need your forgiveness. Forgive me, Jesus. Lord, I ask you to become the leader and the Lord and the Savior of my life. And I am trusting that as I do that, that I will inherit eternity from you. Our heads bowed and our eyes closed. If you prayed that prayer, I, I just want to I want to encourage you. You can take your bulletin and open it up and fill out that section on the right side. And, and then check that line that says you committed your life to Christ. And you can tear that out put that in the offering basket in just a few moments. It's passed around. Others of you, you're followers of God, but you have underestimated the power of the church for a long time. The significance of it. I'm not asking you to make a commitment to our church, but to make a commitment to God. That you will plug into a church. And if God leads you here, we'd love for you to be a part of this place. And you say, Lord, I understand that, that you love the church. You love your people. Lord, I want to be with your people because I want to be a part of a work that's lasting. And that's beyond me. That's bigger than me. That's you. I'll encourage you to, if it's in our church, we have some small group ministries that you can look up in your bulletin to see where you can plug in. We have other ministries where you can serve. Guys, we believe that we are a church that is here to transform our community. Not to hide from it, but to go into it and see it be radically transformed by the power of Jesus. God, thank you 
Thank you for the church. Thank you, Jesus, that you have called the church to be powerful. And may Village Church be a church of power because of Jesus Christ. And I pray these things in Christ's name.